You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some unfamiliar, others forgotten, all fascinating. When you hear this tune, what instantly springs to mind is David Lean's award-winning movie, The Bridge on the River Kwai. That movie immortalized the story of the building of the Thai Burma Railway during the Second World War. If you've watched the movie, you might be forgiven for thinking that the only people who were involved in the building of this railway were POWs, who were the focus of the film. In reality, though, the vast majority of the workforce consisted of labourers from Japanese-occupied Malaya. My name is Jimmy Yap and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of BiblioAsia. In this episode, we're going to talk about the hundreds of thousands of men from Malaya and Singapore who were lied to, tricked, cajoled or coerced into getting involved in the building of what has now become known as the Death Railway. Stretching over 415 kilometres, the railway took 16 months to construct with work starting in June 1942. An estimated 60,000 POWs and some 200,000 civilian labourers slaved under brutal conditions to build the railway. Those civilian labourers were known as Romusha. The Death Railway got its name because of the thousands of workers who died during its construction. Those men worked with minimal equipment, only picks and shovels. Their living conditions were wretched, and their working conditions, deadly. It is estimated that more than 90,000 Romusha perished by the end of the war. There are few, if any, official records of these civilian labourers, though. What little we know about the Romusha comes mainly from what is mentioned in accounts written by POWs. Today, we can put a name and a face to one Romusha, Kosman Hassan. He's the grandfather of our guest today, Shirley Norden. When Kosman left Singapore for Thailand at the age of 28, his wife was pregnant with Shirley's mum. She didn't know if he would return, but he never lost hope. Shirley has written about her grandfather and his experience in Thailand in BiblioAsia. Shirley is the founder of Fish Communications, a consultancy specialising in arts and culture. Hi, Shirley. Welcome to BiblioAsia Plus. Hello. Uh, before we start, can you tell us, what does Romusha mean? Romusha is the Japanese word for labourer. Ah, okay. So, it, it's a rather innocent word. Okay. Um, but in the context of the Second World War in, in Southeast Asia, it's taken on a different meaning. Can you give us a, a quick overview uh, for the people who haven't read your uh, article, a quick overview of your grandfather's experience working on the railway. When did it start? What did he do? Okay, my my grandfather, Kosman Hassan, he was my maternal grandfather. And he was, before before being taken away to the death railway, to work on the death railway, he was a mechanic in Singapore. Working um, on cars, right? Car mechanic, yeah. My family then had a workshop in St. Thomas Walk. 
And uh, at that point in time, after the Japanese occupation, occupying Japanese forces had needed workers to work on the railway. Not right. just the railway, actually, uh, to do other um, jobs as well. But right. in this in particular was for the railway. And they needed mechanics, um, people who had technical expertise to uh, build and to repair and yeah. maintain the the locomotives. The Japanese needed people, and so um, they came to the they, they they came to the workshop, and they wanted to get people to work on the on the railway. And what happened? So they came, and and they wanted to recruit my great grand uncle, being the chief mechanic of the workshop. He was already well. He was already middle-aged by then. He was in his late 40s or maybe in his early 50s. Right. Um, so my grandfather stepped forward and volunteered himself. Being younger, he thought he would be better suited to go. And um, my great-granduncle was also the sole breadwinner. Uh, the workshop was his. And he had the relationship with all the clients and he was the chief mechanic. So it made sense for him to stay. Um, they, 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 still, they still needed to earn a living. Right, right. Um, so my grandfather, and in fact, my grandfather and another one of their mechanics from that workshop oh. were taken away to go to Thailand. Right. So okay. And this th was roughly when? This was in 1942. I'm so mid, assuming mid-1942... Mid June, July, sure. okay. 1942. Okay. I can't be certain. Uh, I, I've never, I never really asked my grandfather when he was alive, uh, when he was taken away. Right. Uh, but by um, looking at records and and uh, the dates, uh, I believe it would be around those months. Okay, yeah. and then so he he went to Thailand. He he worked on the railway, doing various things, which you're going to talk about um, later. When did he come back? He came back at the end of the war. And this was a surprise to my grandmother. I mean, a surprise and yet, and yet not a surprise because, you know, she waited for him. Right. He was gone all those years, right? right. And he didn't, obviously couldn't send and postcard he, <laughs> or anything. Obviously, there was no postcard from him. But she waited. I, I think it was um, just about three years. Um, okay. And she never remarried. Right, right, uh, right. Uh, she kind of, I guess, had this hope that he, he would come back. So it was a surprise and yet again, not a surprise. Sure, sure. So yeah. he came back in 1940, in like, uh, the war ended in August 1945. Yeah. So he must have come back. Towards the end, maybe. Again, these right. dates are, are, we don't have a confirmation of these dates of when he came back. No one kept records at that time. Right. Um, many of the Romushas actually couldn't find their way home after the war. Uh, and my grandfather was just very lucky. He managed to find his own way home through the help of a a British military officer called uh, Major Pink. He was somebody my grandfather knew um, back in Singapore. I'm not sure how, but maybe through um, his military volunteer service, service. with the British military right, right, at the, uh, right, right. before the war. And this is all stories that I've heard from my uncle. Right. Um, so I've tried looking for this m major pink, but I can't be certain uh, who he is. There, there is a, a, a British military officer called Pierre Pong, Cyril Pierre 
Pierre Pont, who was also called Pink. But I can't be sure whether it's the same that was ex- the same person. Person. Um, a lot of it is speculation on my part. Sure. What did your grandfather do when he was when he when he was in Thailand? He said that he was um, based in Kanchanaburi. That I'm very sure of because he mentioned Kanchanaburi. And because of his experience as a car mechanic, um, he had the technical know-how, the expertise, which would probably put him as a mechanic repairing the locomotives um, and and not a labourer on on the tracks. This is something I've deduced from uh, the research I've done. Right. So he he, he never actually like sat around and, and, and waxed lyrical about his time in Thailand? Oh, no, 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 not at all. I, I think, I don't know whether he was consciously trying to forget his time there. He didn't regale us with stories. It was, it, it'll come out in bits and pieces. Um, oh, that time when I was in Thailand, you know, I was in the jungle and there were a lot of snakes. We didn't have anything to eat. Things like that. But, not like, oh, come, let me tell you a story of my time in Thailand. I, I, as a child, I was always puzzled why he was able to speak Thai. What exactly did your grandfather say about his time in Thailand? You know, he didn't say very much, but he must have said something. He did speak about some of the hardships he faced, um, right. about the complete lack of food sometimes, about going hungry, about making friends with the locals because at, I think he was allowed to exit the camp sometimes to buy food. Um, I don't know where he got the money but maybe th- there was a barter trade going on. Right. But he, he did speak about um, having friends amongst the locals, uh, local Thai people who helped him with food, with medication, um, well, at least uh, local local medicine um, that was available to to help him and maybe his his fellow Romushas who were suffering. Um, he spoke about how rudimentary the conditions in the camp were, like his bed, for instance. It was made out of... He had to fashion his own bed out of bamboo, very low to the ground. There was It was always muddy, raining, lots of snakes, lots of mosquitoes. So um, disease was rife. And there were obviously a lot of death around him all the time. And one of his duties was to bury the dead the next right. morning. Right. Um, if he wanted to give them Muslim burial, right? Yes. Um, as a Muslim, he want, his wish was to give his fellow Muslim Ramushas um, the Muslim burial rites, but he, he, it was just not possible sometimes. So that was, I think, one of the toughest things um, for him. Right. I can imagine. I mean, it's, 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 it must have been quite hard. We know about the death railway because of like movies like you know the Bridge and the River Kwai and all that, but we don't know as much about the Romusha. You know wh- why? Why is that? I think this is because many of the Romushas came from um, plantations, came from the villages, um, and many were illiterate. Many of the Romushas who came from Malaya were actually Tamil plantation workers. So they came from 
the deep plantations of Malaya and they couldn't read or write. Uh, interestingly, they were um, attracted to the work because the Japanese sold it as... Um, kind of marketed it as like real work with real pay, very good wages. Right. So some of them, some of these Tamil plantation workers actually voluntarily Whoa. signed up oh, right, right, and right. went on to the death railway, to, to the Thai Burma railway with their families, oh. with, wi- with their wife, with their children. So some of the children actually, were, some of their children were actually brought to the camps because oh, wow. they, they really thought it was a real job right, 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 and right, right, a right. job that would pay more than working in a rubber, plantation. A rubber plantation or, 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 or a palm oil plantation. Right. So nobody knew um, about the, the appalling conditions uh, and, and some of these Tamil plantation workers actually brought entire families. Oh, wow. Um, there is a group in Malaysia called the Death Railway group on Facebook. Um, I I have seen some postings on the Facebook uh, page about uh, the Romusha children who actually grew up in the camp. Of course, uh, when, when these Facebook posts were done, they were already in their late 80s, 90s. But they were kids. They, they, they went to the camps with their parents. Thinking, and, and they wrote about, you know, what they remember. Um, not, they didn't write. I think that it was just um, like oral interview. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And, but even, even amongst these Romusha children, um, I, I wonder if there are any survivors left. Right, yeah. right because yeah. it's, it's been such a long yeah. time. Given the paucity of information, how do you sort of reconstruct what happened to your grandfather? From from reading um, accounts uh, of the British by the British POWs, um, they were the ones who were able to give full accounts of their experience um, in the camps, um, and they would um, mention uh, the Romusha conditions because they would they would be working on the same tracks or in the same workshops. Um, the camps were separate, though. The, the okay. British. The, the POWs, POWs British or the Americans the, uh, or the European POWs were separate from the Romushas. Okay. Um, and, and many of them, many of these accounts give some mention, very little mention in passing of the Romushas. A particular account is a book by Dr. Hardy. Um, What's his name again? Dr. Dr. Hardy. Yeah, Dr. Hardy. Okay. I, I forget his full okay. name. Okay. Yeah. We can we, we can we can find but what so he but he, he, he gives an extensive sort of description of yes, what happened. Of the camps. Uh, of of the, camp. the nearby camps. All right, okay. Yeah. And then he talks about Romusha. Yes. So the information about the Romushas, even the written accounts about the Romusha were very few and far between. Right. Um tucked away um tucked away in the stories, tucked in between the accounts of the POWs themselves. Right, right. Of course, you're, you're, you're going to write about your own yeah, life. exactly. And so this is just stuff that you see around you. Exactly. So they they were obviously very um, sympathetic to the Romusha plight, but there was nothing they could do either. And and some, but there were some accounts where they tried to help with med- medicine. Oh, right. Okay, okay. But beyond that, I, I think it would have been, it must have been impossible to 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 help them improve 
conditions because well, I mean, they, they themselves they, were they themselves were in pretty dire yeah, conditions. Exactly. Actually, speaking of that, I mean, uh, you you mentioned earlier that you know uh, a lot of Ramushas didn't make it home, not because they died, but you know after the war they had to make their own way home. You know what 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 happened after the war? So after the war, um. W- when when the when the Japanese surrendered, um, the British POWs were able to organize themselves um, to find their way back, and obviously um, there were reinforcements sent, military military reinforcements sent um, to Thailand to to look out for the POWs um, and to liberate the camps. So there was a group of military officers who went up and down the railway line. Oh, I see. Looking for POWs to bring back. And also to to record what had happened. And this was, interestingly, this account I read from, from a Japanese interpreter who was part of the Japanese, I think, I think the Kempentai. Administration or the Kempentai. He was an he was a translator with the Kempentai, who witnessed the torture of the POWs. Right, right. So in the camps along the railway, so he was part of this group. Um, he was brought together with the um, British uh, military officers as um as a witness. Oh, I see. I mean, after the war. After the war. Right, right, right. Um, going up and down the railway line, pointing out where the camps were, right. pointing out what happened. Right. Um, he, he, he wrote a book called Tigers and Crosses about his experience as uh, the interpreter during wartime. Right. And then his experience uh, just after the war, going up and down the railway line. And his regret also of his for his part in in the Thai Burma Railway. Okay, so the the the, the POWs had um, structure and and all that and and assistance from outside to get back, but the civilian the Ramusha did not. No. So yeah. they were they, so what yeah. happened? So they were they were left to look for their to look for their own way back. Right. Um, right. And how do you do that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't imagine. I really just cannot imagine with no money, with being malnourished. Yes, yes. Um, you don't speak the language. H- how do you do that? How how do you even find your way back? Even though Thailand is not very far now. N- now, with hindsight, we know that it's not very far from Singapore or Malaysia or no. no but still, yeah. if you have, it's not like you have a car. Yeah, or you can you can just drive back from Kanchanaburi back to Singapore. Exactly. Um. And probably some of them didn't even know where they were. Yeah, I'm sure, right? You know, had no idea of the geography. Right, of right, right. The area they were stuck in. So how do they find their way back? So some of them just pretty much stayed on, I believe. Right. Um, and the lucky few managed to find their way back. I don't know how many. My grandfather and the other mechanic from his workshop. Oh, they, 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 he they survived. Guys, oh, fantastic! And they found their way back. I right, guess they must right. have stuck together. And, yeah, it makes sense. And I believe it was because they were mechanics and they had this very technical job, very that, useful skills. Yeah, yeah, useful skills that uh, the Japanese needed. 
Right, right. Because it doesn't make sense to get a mechanic and make him like break rocks and, yes, and dig exactly. holes and all that. Yeah. So they would repair the not just the locomotives, but also I, I suppose the trucks, the the lorries, all the vehicles needed, you know, right, right. to support the work. Um, so they they managed to come back only because of this encounter with Major Pink, right, um, right. who helped him organize his trip back to Singapore. I don't know how that happened by boat or by train or um, by foot on whether he did it on foot. I, I don't know. So, but then your 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 grandfather just suddenly appears at the he dock. suddenly appeared one day. Okay, this is the stuff of legend, right? Okay, I want to hear this. <laughs> I want to hear this because. Apparently, according to my grandmother, one day he just appeared at the front gate and he was there. <laughs> okay. And Hi, I, honey, I, I'm home. Yeah, it's a kind of like, hi, honey, I'm home, you know. And she was surprised. But this for me was my entry point into this whole story. Right. Because my grandmother would say this and you're like, I would be like, where was he? How did he come? Where, where did he come from? Why did he disappear for so right, long? And right, right. and that's where things kind of unfolded bit by bit. Right. And that's how I really pieced everything together. I always, my thought was always, thank goodness you did not remarry. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been uncomfortable. <laughs> that would have been very uncomfortable. It, it, it obviously sounds like a, you know, you obviously had a very hard life. But, you know, at the same time, reading your, your account... It, it didn't sound like your grandfather was bitter. I mean, you know, honestly, if it was me, I, I, would, not be, I would not be very forgiving, but that's, that's me. Just, I clearly know your grandfather. <laughs> no, he wasn't a bitter man. The experience made him stronger and made him very patient. My own experience with him, um, I, and I've always known him as someone who was incredibly patient, never raised his voice. And my uncle's... Um, say the same thing. Never raised his voice. Never got angry. Was this like a change in, in like, was he like previously a hothead before that? I, I don't came? think he ever was a hothead. My, my grandfather's a very friendly person. And I think this is one of the traits that helped him survive the experience. Sure, yeah, it makes sense, yeah. right? Um, and so... I, I, it just made him a lot more patient. Um, it made him very understanding and forgiving. Okay. You know, I he never harbored any ill will. Did Did he also, you know, occasionally speak Japanese to people? Well, he knew the the the, the few words, right. um, swear words. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Must teach me that. Um. I, I I don't know that. I can't remember. But uh, you know, you would hear in 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 jest. Sometimes he would say something in Japanese, which would have been a swear word. All right. So, okay. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. But uh, after that, what was interesting that after he came back, you know, he was a volunteer of the British Army before the war, and after that, even after after everything he went through and he was back as a civilian again, he still continued to volunteer. Yes, and, he and, did. And, and it, with the British military and then with, with other things as well. What was, why was he like that? He was a person with a strong community spirit. And I think this comes from the fact that he's a, he was a child of immigrants. Um, his father 
came from Java via Kuala Lumpur. And there were two brothers from Pekalongan in Java. They went to Kuala Lumpur first. And then my grandfather's father, Hassan, made his way down to Singapore while the other brother stayed in Kuala Lumpur and then married a Javanese woman who was already in Singapore. So I think being a child of immigrants, he didn't have an easy life. Um, I, I'm very sure that they, w- they, they were poor. And he was just very grateful for the, the help and the life he had in Singapore. And he was born a British subject, right? He was born, he was born a British subject, in 1914, you know that it's an incredible trajectory from British subject, from subject to citizen. Yeah, that's right. Um, right. It it was an incredible trajectory from subject to citizen. Also a very arduous um, journey journey because he had to go through so much. The early years of Singapore must have been difficult as an immigrant um, child. Uh, uh, as a child of an immigrant, he was lucky enough that he was sent to school. And then the war, and then being in on the Thai-Burma Railway, and then coming back to Singapore, and then independence. Incredible. And I think he was just very grateful to be a citizen. After he came back, uh, did he go back and become a mechanic? Go back to um, working as a mechanic? He... he no, he came back and became a driver with Dutch Lady Milk. Oh, okay. I wonder if that brand still exists. I think I think it does, okay. Dutch Lady. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. it was a... Um, a delivering big, milk. Yeah, it, it was a big milk company then and delivering milk. From what I understood, okay, there, there is this account um, that one of his friends had, uh, had written about in a book about the history of Siglap. Um, it's a book in Malay. And he had mentioned that my grandfather, after the death railway, had worked in Bangkok. I, I don't know how true this is. Oh, okay. Um, I think it was after the war right. ended or after his death railway experience so I don't know where this fit in I and I still am not able to verify this right 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 um, he was driving and he was doing delivery in Bangkok okay um, makes sense and, and perhaps this was after the completion of the death railway he made his way to Bangkok right I don't know everything is so fuzzy right, right. I mean and part of that is, is because uh, one he didn't talk about it and I guess two growing up you, you never thought this was something important. I don't know. We, we all grew up with our parents and our grandparents and we don't, we, we, sometimes we, we think we don't want to hear that story again. Yeah, exactly. For me, I guess I was just really too young. I was, I was in primary school and it just didn't occur to me to ask. It was just like, oh yeah, it's a story from my grandfather and incredible that he came back and thank God my grandmother didn't get married again. <laughs> you know, that kept recurring in my head. <laughs> Um, you don't ask until it's too late. You know, looking back, you know, what do you, you you said he was a very forgiving person. What do you you know what do you remember most about your grandfather? What do you admire about him? He didn't have very much. He materially he didn't materially have very he didn't have very much, and but he always managed to survive. Mm. 
Mm. Um, he came back. He, I, I, he became in the fifties and sixties. He was a driver for Dutch right. Lady Milk, and then um, after independence, he got a stall in a school next door in the secondary school. Right, you, you, was, you mentioned it. What yeah. was the name of the school? Chai Chi Secondary School. Okay, shout out to former students of Chai Chi Secondary School who remember Mr. Koshman. Who, what was he doing at the... At the he was working in the canteen, he, right? He had a stall. Like, uh, he, I guess he must have balloted for a right. stall at the canteen and he sold drinks. Right, right, right. This was a man who... <laughs> I, I don't know, was a car mechanic, went to Thai Burma Rio, became a driver, and then decided that I'm going to sell drinks, right? So, <laughs> Was this when he was retired? Like, I guess when he was retired. Right, and right, right. he did that for a very long time, from 65, from when the f- school first opened, till the late 80s. Oh, okay. Yeah. So a lot of people would know your, your, your a grandfather. Lot. Actually, um... Najib Ali was oh. from Chai Chi Secondary School oh, okay. and knew my grandfather. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So a, a lot of a lot of kids would have gone through who who, who would have gone through Chai Chi Secondary School would have known my grandfather. Okay, that's very um, cool. Yeah. So for me, he was a man that who was very resilient and who would just make the best of a situation. Right. He didn't whine. Right, 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 you know, right. But maybe that was the hallmark of that generation also. And he just made the best of the situation. Selling drinks at a school can- canteen didn't make him a rich man. I cannot imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but he was happy. He was really very happy doing it. He really right, enjoyed right. doing it. I could see it. Right, um, right, right. Um, having all the school kids um, around, he interacting with him, he enjoyed it very much, which right. is why he, he did it for so long. In fact, I uh, there's, a, there's also a lovely picture of uh, you and him, right? Mm. In 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 the Bible Asia article, you were like how many? Like, three I or think four I was three. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, that was the back of the school canteen. Right. Yeah. So we right. would go as kids. We would go to visit him to get free coke <laughs> and free <laughs> magnolia milk. <laughs> yeah. Your your story is a a story that you know I think really needs to be heard because we we don't know about these people. Right, we don't know about the Ramusha, and this is a, a a very personal story. You know, how how did it feel to to have you know written the story and given a voice to your grandfather? First, I I really have to thank Biblio Asia and you, Jimmy, for oh, you're welcome giving me the opportunity to do this. the The writing of the article felt very liberating for me to be okay. able to tell the story. Um, it also made me really think hard about. Um, the experiences my grandfather went through and his life. And when you have to write something down, I think it really forces you to consider many things right. and to um, um, ask questions also. Right, right. It be more to, rigorous. Yeah. Right. So it led me to ask my uncles questions. And, and it was very timely because, you know, they're all getting old themselves and... They're forgetting. Um, I try asking questions to my um, mother's older um, sisters uh, who would have known my grandfather before he went to the death ra- went to work on the death railway. But they were already v- very forgetful by then and they couldn't give me anything. So this really gave me the opportunity or at least forced me to ask the questions before 
it was too late. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I guess also, I mean, it, it also gave you the opportunity to to sort of talk to your relatives. Yes, yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't, right? Exactly, yeah. And, and it was amazing how they were so willing to talk. I didn't think they would be. I did because sometimes you know you'd encounter oh it was such a long time ago I don't remember you know but they did that a bit but then you know the more I pursued with the questions the more they suddenly oh yeah I remember this oh yeah Mm -hmm. he he said that and I had two uncles um, who were born after my mom right um and I guess my grandfather must have told them. Ah, um, so he, ah, Because right, they were right. boys of the family, right? Right. Um, and, and must have told them more than he did my mom, maybe. Um, so it was, it was good to speak to them because it, it got me closer to them. Um, they were so um, appreciative that, me, that someone else in the family wanted to remember my grandfather um, and when when the article was published mm. um, being of the older generation the online version didn't it was nice <laughs> yeah but it didn't have the same impact as the print right, version right you, 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 you gave them the, the <laughs> so I gave them each the print version and they were so so touched by it right yeah my uncle they, they texted me to say they cried reading right. the story um, right. Even my mom, who's very stoic and um, sometimes very unemotional about right. things, very, right. she's a very strict person. <laughs> she she was very touched. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I, it's because partly because you pull all these different stories yes, together into perhaps, one narrative. Yeah. Perhaps it was the first time that all these disparate aspects of my grandfather got put together in one narrative. So I I really have to thank Biblio Asia for this gift. Um, to my family. Yeah. Right, right. Well, uh, you're welcome. Um, now that you know you've you've done that, um, what what are your plans for the future? What are you what are you, what are you going to do? The the research continues. Oh, okay. Um, I'm certain that there are Japanese sources which I have there must not been be, right? there able must be. to access. So that would be the next thing to do. Um, find someone who's who would be able to help me with the Japanese. Um, research um, I'm sure there's an archive somewhere from what we understand the Japanese actually burned uh, records um, at the end of the war uh, all of these were destroyed right uh, uh, records of the Romusha this is what I understand um, right. but I think they were quite meticulous about keeping records right right and I think somewhere there must be something okay um, we, we so the research continues and I'm hoping that it can take me um, towards um, the Japanese archival material. Okay. Um, my husband's a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, and he deal he he his specialty is dealing with arch- archival materials. So oh, we are nice yes, combination. <laughs> so we are planning to um, produce a film about the Romushas, maybe through. The story of my grandfather. There, there's no such. Obviously, there's no. There's not been any movie about the Ramushas. No, as far as I I know, I there isn't any. Mm. Um, mm. 
I think it's a pretty difficult documentary to put together because you don't have there, there aren't any footage. Yeah. Film yeah. footage or that even even photographs are very, very few. Right. Um and you you would always see pretty similar photographs all the time. So right. I don't know how we're going to pull this off. That's in the pipeline. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I, I'm quite determined to do it. Um, I think the story needs to be told. Um, not just my grandfather's story. My grandfather is just... That, that story of my grandfather is just the conduit for a larger story. It's part of a history. of It's, the, it's part of Southeast Asian right. history that many people don't know about. Right, right, right. Um, and I think before it becomes really distant memory and before we all forget, lest we forget, something needs to be done. I hope you will find the necessary stuff in the Japanese archives and that you'll be able to pull this together and, and create a really exciting um, and interesting documentary. And I think, as you say, it's very, very important. It's something that is, is not something that a lot of people know about. Um, have you gotten any feedback, by the way, from your from your article beyond beyond your friends beyond your friends and family? I mean, I, I think I think one of your colleagues forwarded me, uh, Veronica forwarded me um, a comment that they received that through the feedback channel. Right, right, right. And it was right. a very positive um, feedback, and it was very touching. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully, you know, this will launch you in, into a new direction, and you will be able to, we will be able to see that f- that 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 movie, and you know, in the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe we can do it with Biblio Asia. Maybe we can. Okay. Uh, I will volunteer to be. You know, I can't be a Romusha because I'm not not thin enough, but I'll be something. <laughs> This is a part of the interview where we ask uh, all our guests the same questions and we try and find interesting answers. So let me ask you, who is the coolest person you think in Singapore history? I think it has got to be P. Ramli. Okay, why? Why P. Ramli? He was a singer, songwriter, musician, actor, director. How much cooler could he have okay, been? <laughs> that's true. Much cooler than me. Much cooler <laughs> than me. Um, which historical figure would you like to have dinner with? Kartini, Radin Kartini. Why, why Radin Kartini? She's an Asian, Southeast Asian feminist icon. Um, I think it must have been very difficult for a Javanese woman to advocate for education for girls, uh, given the very strict Javanese culture and society. Okay, okay. Um, what do you think is the most underrated or maybe the most intriguing period in, in, in history? Pre-colonial Singapore. Okay, why? Why do you say that? I mean, we, we've always talked about Singapore history starting from 1819. Right, okay. I'm sure. And, and there, there is that huge book. Um, yes, 700, 700 years. years of right, Singapore right. history. Published by the National Library. Yes. <laughs> Free plug there. <laughs> and we we go beyond yeah, yeah we do right we do we, and we don't but we don't talk about it enough i think i think so i think part yeah i i i have to agree i mean i think it would be very interesting to talk about singapore's history before 1819 yes, yeah right? it didn't all, start it didn't all start with raffles yes that's right that's yeah. right so what book are you reading now i'm currently reading um, a book by Franz fanon black skin white mask 
Okay, it's not a new book though. No, no, it's not. Um, I've read the one in English years ago in university. Right. And um, and I recently found a French copy. Oh, okay. Uh, a French, the original version. Right. Um, I my husband's French, so I saw I found it lying at home as I was clearing up. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to attempt reading this in French. Is your French good enough to read a to read this book? I mean, well, I'm trying. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Um, answer quickly. History is a window to our past to understand our present and future. Okay. Okay. Um, Biblio Asia is a time travel machine. Oh, I like that. I like that very much. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Shirlene, for, for joining us on uh, Biblio Asia Plus. And to learn more about Shirlene's grandfather and about the Ramusha, you have to check out our article uh, on the Biblio Asia website at biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and the Biblio Asia newsletter. Thank you for joining me on Biblio Asia Plus.